if you have your Bible this morning, I'm asking you to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 9, where we just read from. And uh, I really appreciate the text as, as Todd read us through the text. Um, and what we're going to be looking at today, I've entitled this message for today, Godly Prayer for Troubled Times. Godly Prayer for Troubled Times. And I think perhaps one of the greatest examples of true biblical prayer is the prayer of Daniel found in Daniel chapter 9. If you were with us on Tuesday nights, uh, I did a little bit of this several weeks ago on Tuesday night. If it sounds familiar, uh, then it sounds familiar. What could I tell you? You're getting a twofer, right? A two-for-one. So um, let's take a look. I want to call your attention. We're going to flip-flop through Daniel chapter 9, but what we're going to do I want to call your uh, attention to verses 18 and 19. 18 and 19. O my God, incline thy ear and hear, open thy eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on the account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive O Lord, listen and take action for thine own sake. O my God, do not delay because of thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Boy, oh boy. If ever I think there's a prayer for this time, I think this is the prayer for this time. If ever I think there was a time and somebody expressed many of the issues and many of the emotions that we feel today, I think Daniel expresses that perfectly well. This is an amazing prayer, and this is a prayer that every Christian should be praying today, that God would incline his ear, that God would hear his people once again, that God would have compassion and act. I don't think there's anybody here that that would uh, say, oh no, we don't want God to hear. We don't want God to incline his heart. We don't want God to draw near and hear the request of the people in this time and in this day. Isn't that what we want? Do we not sometimes, if you think about this, don't we sometimes grow frustrated when we pray and God does not answer? And by the way, does God never answer? You know, God is always answering in some matter. He just may be answering in a matter that you don't want to hear or you don't think is right for you. We see our nation and our world falling apart everywhere. It just appears to be falling apart. There just seems to be this continuum. Uh, There you go. There just seems to be this continuum that is occurring at this time where chaos and so many different things are ensuing in our world all over the place. America, America is becoming a pagan nation, if you really think about it, right? We were a nation that at least was founded on biblical precepts. That doesn't mean every sign or every founding father was a Bible-believing, born-again Christian. But there were biblical precepts that guided the foundation of this nation. I can't say that that's true any longer. I mean, we're starting to see wrong, but we see it. Wrong is right. Right is wrong. Is that not the case? Or is it only me? Right? What used to be things unheard of 10 years ago 
Go back to 2011. Some of the things that we're hearing today in 2011 that, that we we're seeing today in 2011 would have been unimaginable. Unimaginable as the nation continues to slip and fall. And not only that, but we see that the world, we see that our government, we see that everything is indoctrinating us, our children, into immorality, into Marxism, into socialism, into atheism. No longer is the family the place where you teach your children and you teach your family morality. The schools have stepped up. The government has stepped up. They have defined it. And they said, this is what it looks like. We mourn and we lament. We see this rapid decline in our culture. Rapid decline. This anti-God culture. Isn't it ironic that the world paints God as a tyrant, but the world holds the world's tyrants and they paint them as gods? It's the world's tyrants that are all good. And our God is, oh, he's just, he's just, uh, you know, terrible, terrible tyrant. Well, Daniel the prophet lived in such a time as that. Daniel lived in captivity in Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah had been warning Judah for the longest time, for the longest time, that if they continue in their sin, if they continue in their indifference to God, if their worship was purely formal and not that of the heart, that if they continue to integrate the world's ways into the worship of the one true God, that God would send a judgment. And it would be indeed calamitous. Listen to the prophetic warnings of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2.13. The prophet says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2.19. Your own wickedness will correct you. Your apostasies will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. And the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. Listen, he's saying this to God's people. Jeremiah 3.25 Let us lie down in our shame. Let humiliation cover us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God. And we and our fathers, and since our youth, even to this day, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Jeremiah 5, 30-31. An appalling and a horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on their, all, on their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do in the end? Strong words. I think if there were prophets today, they would be uttering the very same thing. And I believe that the word of God thunders that warning to us today. And by the way, this isn't just uh, limited to the United States of America. This is a world problem. You know, I have friends all over the world that are preaching the gospel. And you hear the same issue from South Africa to New Zealand to Australia. You hear it in Western Europe. You hear it in Eastern Europe. 
You hear it in Cambodia. You hear it all over the place. There is an apostasy that is descending, a great falling away that is descending on the world. There is a hardness in the hearts of men and women toward the things of God. And the worst thing of all is you see it in the church. Where are the men and women who plead to God, to God to move? Where are the men and women that are down on their knees and, 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 and tarrying in prayer and struggling in prayer and saying, Father, we beg you to move by your power and move by your grace and we're grieved over the circumstances that we see. The prophet Jeremiah indeed did warn Judah. And I'll tell you what, time precludes to tell of all the scriptures that the Lord had told them and encouraged them, repent, repent, repent. They were also aware, Daniel the prophet was also aware of the promises of the Mosaic Covenant, that if you do the following, if you obey the Lord, all these blessings will precede you. But if you disobey the Lord, then all these curses will follow you. Israel was warned. And it may be said that we as a people are warned because we do indeed have the full revealed word of God, don't we? We don't have to wait like anybody else. We don't, we don't need prophets to tell us for God has given us everything that he wants us to know about godliness and righteousness contained in the word of God. And so subsequently what we see are consequential wrath descending upon Judah. Daniel is writing this in captivity in Babylon. When Babylon invaded in 522 B.C., when Babylon invaded Jerusalem and ransacked Jerusalem, they took away the finer and the choicest young men. And among them was Daniel himself, along with some of his buddies like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what I want to share with you today are four components. Four components of repentant, intercessory, godly prayer that's needed in times of trouble. And in Daniel chapter 9, we're going to see what these four components are. And it's my intent that as we as believers in Jesus Christ learn from this great saint of God, that we follow his example as how to pray for our church, how to pray for our family, how to pray for our nation. God's desire is for men and women to recover the virtues of true biblical praying. True biblical praying. You know, a sad thing has happened that praying has reverted into a wish list, right? Oh, Father, I need this, I need that. Will you do this? Will you do that, Father? Bless this, bless that, blah, blah, blah. As if we're we're in the driver's seat and we're, we're commanding and driving God. But that's not what you're going to see in Daniel here. God would pray that we would recurb the virtues of prayer and that we ourselves would be earnest to see more of God and the glory of God revealed in us and through us and in the church of Jesus Christ. That we would be a people after God's own heart. I want you to remember that phrase. A people after God's own heart. 
What does that mean? That God's desires are our desires. That God's ways are our ways. That God's will is our will. And that we delight in them as Christians. So we're going to see four components. And here are the four components that we're going to see in this text. Number one, prayer. And prayer being defined as the cry to God. The second one, confession. And confession could be defined as agreeing with God regarding sin and righteousness. The third one is supplication. And supplication is defined as entreating God for His favor. And the fourth one is a repentant heart. The turning from sin and a turning toward God. So let's take a look at the text today and let's look at the first one. Prayer, a cry to God. And let's look at verse 4 of Daniel chapter 9. We see here actually in verses 3 and 4. Notice what Daniel says. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer, supplication, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness for those who love Him and keeps His commandments. Notice that Daniel, number one, Daniel's cry to God, his prayer to God is not ritualistic. Right? He's not just rattling off a few phrases. You know, it, it, it grieves me so many times when you... You go to a church or you visit a church or you're at a funeral and you'll have a minister up there or you'll have someone go up there and they'll, they'll rattle off a few words from the Scriptures, you know. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh unto me unless the Father. You know, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall not die. Don't, you know, believeth thou this, you know. The ritualistic, indifferent, cold prayer. That is not a cry to God. The cry to God is so much more. And it begins immediately with a recognition and a reverence of who God is. Notice Daniel's greeting. Alas, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and who keeps His commandments. As Daniel enters the throne room of God, as Daniel cries out to God, the first thing he does is he recognizes the reverence and the worth of God. The awesome God. The creator of all there is. Oh my goodness, the everlasting, the eternal one, the great I am. And when we come into the presence of God, when we come into the presence of God, let us not come in callously. Let us not come in, you know, oh Lord, I praise you and I thank you today, Father. But let us be earnest in our prayer. Let us be mindful of who, with whom we're engaging. We have been granted an audience with the eternal God made possible through the Son of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, we have an opportunity to come into the throne room of God. And that must thrill you. And at the same time, cause to humble you as well. 
You notice Daniel didn't jump straight to the laundry list, right? He didn't say, oh, good morning, Lord. You know, can you bless this and find me a parking spot and do this and do that and all the other different things? He did not trivialize with God. Neither should we. That's a practice that needs to end. Let's stop trivializing God. Let's stop trivializing the things. Let's stop using God as that magic genie that we're going to rub and he's going to grant us every single wish. But when we come into his presence, let us come into his presence with holiness and righteousness and reverence. When we come to pray, sometimes there is a tendency in all of us just to to jump right into the meat of the issues. And sometimes we're so concerned with what we want, we tend to bypass the honor and the reverence of God and the recognition of who He is. When we pray, we must come to that place to honor Him, to praise Him, to reverence Him. We've been putting that into practice on our Wednesday night prayer meetings. On our Wednesday night prayer meetings, not attended by many, but I'll tell you what, there is power and there is potency there. But on Wednesday night, what we do, we make it a practice. We're not here to ask for Aunt Tilly who stubbed her toe coming out of the shower, and we're not here to ask for anything of ourselves. The assumption is you have a prayer life. And you're doing that in your prayer life. But when we come together corporately to pray as a church, we come to praise God. We come to thank God. We come to glorify God. And the only thing we ask is that God would bring revival among his people and among his church. Notice how many times Daniel honors the Lord in his prayer. Look at verse 7. Righteousness belongs to us, uh, belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame. Look at verse 9. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Look at verse 17. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, and for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on the desolate sanctuary. Is this not how our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray? Very simple question. Isn't it the way the Lord taught us to pray? What did the Lord say in Matthew 6, 9 through through 10? He says, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed means Holy, sacred, hallowed be thy name. When you pray as the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, pray in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. We cannot just come into the presence of the Lord without acknowledging him. And when we enter prayer and cut right to the issue, it is, this, it is as if we have snubbed God And that we are ordering him, that we're commanding him. Rather, we are to come into his presence with humility, with reverence, and with awe. Listen to Psalm uh, Psalm 5, 7. But as for me, thine abundant loving kindness, I will enter thy house. At thy holy temple, notice what the psalmist says, 
I will bow down in reverence. Here's a question. You don't have to answer it. You don't have to acknowledge it. When was the last time you bowed down in the presence of the Lord? When was the last time you kneeled down in the presence of the Lord? Have we become so casual with God that we could be whistling zippity-doo-dah and still praying to the Lord all the time? You see, our actions will show where our heart really is. If we don't believe that God is holy, if we don't believe that God is just, if we don't believe that God is righteous, it will be reflected in our actions. If our approach to the mighty, almighty God is casual, then it will be reflected in casual prayer. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. I love this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart, the psalmist says. Psalm 138, 2. I will bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. That cry to God, that first requirement is preceded by a recognition, an honor, a glory of who God is. And I beg you with all sincerity, with all earnestness, please remove the casualness from your prayer. Please come back to the Lord with honor, if not for anything else but the honor of God and the honor of His name and the honor and the privilege to be in the presence of God. Please do that. Your prayers will be radically transformed. Get rid of indifferent prayers. Get rid of trivialized prayers. When you enter into the throne room of God, know for sure in whom you will be addressing. And give the Lord the honor that is righteously due His name. We must pause we must praise. We must declare his worthiness. We must honor him before we move on to anything else. Remember Jesus when uh, he was entering Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday? Remember what the crowds were doing, right? They were laying their garments in the road, the Gospels tell us. They were taking palm branches and putting them in the road. And they were shouting from uh, Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm, right? They were shouting from Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Hosanna means God save now, right? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you remember the response of the Pharisees? Hey, tell your disciples to stop it. And remember what Jesus said? Hey, if they don't do it, the very stones are going to cry out. 
When you come to meet the Lord in prayer, do the stones have to cry out? Or can you say with integrity and honesty, Hosanna, Hosanna, bless the name of the Lord God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and bow in the presence of God. Prayer is indeed praise. Prayer is indeed worship. Prayer is indeed magnifying. But it's all about God. It's all about Him. So we see the first thing we do is prayer, a cry unto God. What's the second element we see in Daniel's prayer? And that is confession. To agree with God regarding sin and righteousness. Actually, the literal translation in the Hebrew means to throw away or to throw out. To throw away or throw out. You come with confession. Where do we see Daniel's confession? Look at verse 9, verse 5. Here Daniel confesses, We have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Notice that Daniel identifies the sins of the people and confesses the sins of his people. Confession is not only involves our personal sins, but the sins of our church, the sins of our nation. Our nation is sinning in ways that we cannot even imagine nor count. I think we're inventing unrighteousness. I think we're inventing iniquity. I think we're inventing sin. And when we come together to meet the Lord, confession is needed first for ourselves that we would render to God and be honest with God and put before God that we would agree with Him on righteousness and we agree with Him regarding sin. And that we would confess our known sins. And trust me, the Bible tells us that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it? And so there are times where we have to confess to the Lord those known sins and there are times where we have to say, Lord, reveal to us other areas of our heart where I am sinning, where I am out of your will, where I am out of your ways. Don't we need to confess, you know, in our nation, don't we need to confess the sin of abortion of 62 million babies that have been killed? It's a heinous crime. The immorality of our nation is, 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 is outward rebellion toward God. We cannot be at ease with that. We cannot be comfortable. We need to pray for our nation. We need to intercede for our nation. We need to be able to come before it. But even more, we need to pray for the church. That the church of Jesus Christ would not fall off the path. That we would be bold in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be calling men and women unto salvation. That we would know what our, our mission and our vision is as a church. That indifference in the church, callousness toward the things of God would be done away with. That Christ would be literally the priority of our lives. And that nothing, our comfort, our pleasures, our jobs, our family, nothing would supersede our love for Jesus Christ. We see here in verses 6 
through 13. Listen to Daniel's confession. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments or ordinances. You know, it's interesting. You would say to Daniel, Daniel, why are you even bothering, man? You're right with God. He honored God all throughout his tenure there in Babylon. He didn't hide it. He'd open the windows and he would face Jerusalem and he would pray just to make sure everybody could see him praying. And if Daniel was a person who was so self-absorbed, he said, man, all of those guys are really bad, but I'm, I'm good. I think there's a lot of that in the church too, right? The outside world is terrible, 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 but we're good. But how could we as the people of God not be burdened for our neighbors? How could we not be burdened for our fellow countrymen? How could we not be burdened for other churches when we see them slipping and falling away? Notice what he says, verse 6, Moreover, we have not listened to thy servant, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the peoples of the land. Righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which thou hast driven them, because of their unfruitful deeds which they have committed, Against who? Against thee, O God. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we, the collective, we have sinned. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. You notice Daniel there includes himself in the lot. When we come to the Lord with confession, we must confess those known sins. And when we come to the Lord in confession, we must also look around us and confess the sins that surround us. We must be burdened with those sins and bring them to the Lord, not to pretend as if they don't exist. We cry to God, we acknowledge Him, we give Him glory, and then we come to the Lord with confession, openly agreeing with God regarding sin and regarding righteousness, throwing out and casting off the sins and bringing them to the attention of Almighty God. If you ever studied revival, if you ever read about the great revivals, one of the things you will read about consistently in revival is number one it always begins with a few amount of people that are praying that are burning to see revival in the hearts and number two there is open confession of sin sin in the church sin in the nation sin in the individual so we see Daniel, he cries out to God in prayer. He recognizes God and his majesty and his holiness. And then he begins with confession and he begins to throw out and cast out the sins of the people. The third element he comes to the Lord with is supplications. And supplication is entreating God for his favor. We think of supplication as request. But it is not merely request. It is entreating, begging God for his favor. 
When we pray with supplication, we are seeking God for His favor upon the things that we request. We are asking God to move. Listen, we are asking God to move to align His will and our will. That's what we're asking for. It's not, Lord, I need this. This is the preeminent thing. This is what you need to do. But it is the will of God being aligned together that the believer and the will of God are lined up. Therefore, we are doing His will. And His will is being carried out in our life. Again, I go back to the Lord's Prayer. What does He say? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. We want our will to be aligned with God, and we do that through supplication. And by the way, supplication implies, it infers earnest request. We are earnest, desirous in our request. And there is a consuming, fervent request being made. Supplications are not indifferent toward God. They are not a list of what I would call a laundry list or a list of action items, but things that consume us for God. Look at verses 15 and 16. And now, O Lord, our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for thyself, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. I want to ask you a question as we're reading through this prayer. We get to verses 15 and 16. Do you think that Daniel was indifferent in this request? Do you think he was not moved? Do you think it sounded something like this? Oh, now, O Lord God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, has made a name for thyself, as it is this day we have sinned, and we have been wicked. Do you honestly think that's Daniel, a man whose heart is burdened and who's broken? I think it was more like this. Oh, and now, O oh Lord God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for thyself as it is this day, we have sinned and we have been wicked, O oh Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts. Let us now uh, turn from thine anger and thy wrath and turn away from thy city, Jerusalem. I think there was an urgency supplication involves earnest desirous consumption of the very thing we're asking for if anybody's ever had a near-death experience if you ever been in a situation where you thought this is it you know how to pray with urgency don't you if anybody's been at the bedside of a loved one you know what it's like to pray with earnestness to be prayed by the move of your emotions. Church, my advocacy to you is this. 
We need to come back to people of God and pray with that same kind of earnestness and that same kind of desire when we come together to meet the Lord. Please don't squander the time. Please don't enter the throne room indifferent. Please don't come. Now listen, it doesn't mean you have to pray exactly like me. I'm a very different kind of person than perhaps you are. My ethnic culture is probably different than yours. We're very passionate people. We're very huggy, kissy people. I tell people all the time, what I love, I love. What I hate, I hate. And there's never any middle ground. All you have to do is ask me about the Boston Red Sox. And I'll give you a mouthful. Or the New England Patriots, too. Or Florida State. No. By the way, I don't know if you know, but we lost uh, Bobby Bowden this morning. Bobby Bowden was a believer. He was a very, um, very vocal believer. In case you don't know who Bobby Bowden was, he was the coach of Florida State for many years in other colleges. But what I'm saying this with supplication, supplication generates an intensity. How you express that intensity is not the same. You may express it one way and the burden of your heart may be very heavy, but it is not. I will tell you what it is not. It is not indifference. And it is not callousness. And it is not coldness. When we cry out to the Lord in prayer, when we recognize the reverence and the righteousness and the holiness of God, when we confess our sins before Him and the sins of the nation and the church, and we come before Him in supplication, when we entreat God for His favor, that is accompanied by an earnest fervency deep down in our heart. My father always told me this story, which uh, I think may be a good example for this. My father told me one day he had preached a message and several people had come afterwards to inquire and to uh, repent of their sins and... Um, Come to Christ. One guy, when he went to talk to him, was weeping. He was all emotional. He was shattered. He couldn't stop crying. Oh, I never heard anything like this. This is so great. You know, I love it. And, you know, oh, yes, you're going to see I'm going to be a new man and a new life and everything else. My father moved on to the next gentleman and in a rather stoic demeanor, my father explained the gospel said, do you believe this? And the man went, I do. And he said, well, you sure you, you understand what the gospel requires? Yes, pastor. And so they both started coming out to church, and within a few weeks, the one who was very emotional went to my father and said, hey, I want to do this in the church, and I want to do that in the church. Just turn me loose, you know, blah, 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 blah. Very emotional, very... Right? And my father said, well, brother, you know, we're wait. You know, you, you, you don't know us yet. We don't know you yet. But, you know, if you're faithful in your commitment, you come out. Yeah, we'll, we'll find work for you to do. And, oh, yeah, you'll see. I'm going to be blah, 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 blah. Went to the other man. <clears throat> and he said, listen, you know, <clears throat> you know, our, our, our practice as a church is that we come to know you and 
we come to, you know, and once we do, we want to put you to work for the kingdom of God. And that second man, in keeping with his character, said, okay. Well, six, seven weeks go by. And what he starts seeing is the very emotional person, you know, kind of missing here and there, missing here and there. When he would go to him, he'd say, oh, no, pastor, you don't understand. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Well, it didn't take long for that person to leave. Didn't take long for that person to fall away, go back into the world. And as far as my father ever knew, never again participated in the church of Jesus Christ. You know who stayed? The second man. The stoic man. The man who is, yeah, I got it. Turned out to be one of the most faithful, committed believers. Was not very demonstrative, was not very, didn't exhibit a lot of emotion. But he was committed in his walk to Christ. And went forward and shared the gospel with people. We would look at that and we go, the first guy's the guy I want, right? Isn't that the case? Oh, so out with emotion, all this other different things. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. Supplication and tied your heart comes with a burning, earnest desire. And that desire becomes consuming. It is something that you don't become indifferent to. But how I manifest it may not be the way that you manifest it. Daniel 9.12, Daniel the prophet says this. Uh, 9.17, I'm sorry. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. And for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. Listen to thy servant. That's what we need. Oh God, listen. Turn toward us, O God. Hear our cries. Hear our supplications. Lastly, the fourth element. So we see prayer as a cry to God. We see confession agreeing with God concerning righteousness and sin. We see supplications entreating God for His favor. And the fourth element is a repentant heart. Turning from sin and turning to God. The great appeal of Daniel's repentance is not how sorry he is, not how special he is, but rather it's on the merit of God's graciousness. Daniel had remembered the commandment of the Lord, Exodus 34, 6, right? The Lord, the Lord, righteous, abounding in loving kindness, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, but will not leave the guilty unpunished. In Daniel 9, verses 8 and 10, listen to the words of Daniel. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. 
To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His teaching in which He set before us through His servants, the prophets. Notice His repentant heart is inclusive of what is going on in the nation. He doesn't say they He doesn't say, I've done this, but the rest of the people do that. He says, we. Right? Listen, repentance is not a one-time event. Repentance, church, is a lifestyle. It's constantly yielding yourself to the will of the Father and turning from every known sin. It is... Being that kind of a person that realizes that because we are fallen creatures, that the enemy is always propping up against us other idols to take over the worship of Christ, to take over the worship of God. Whether that is materialism, consumerism, whether it's pride, whether it's arrogance, we all have them. And a repentant lifestyle says, Lord, tear down the idols that are on my heart so that Christ would be preeminent, that you would be worshipped, that the glory of God and the glory of Christ would effuse from us. There is a great need for Christians, believers, to repent of our comfort in the world. I was telling our brother Ricky today, we got here. You know, I just had an angst. We're in a different place. We're in a different room. I was anticipating. I woke up with a pit in my stomach, anticipating everything that could go wrong. And I said to Ricky, usually when I drive from home to here, I pray in the car all the way. And it first started out with murmuring. But then all of a sudden I started thinking about my persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. For those who have lost husbands and wives and daughters and sons and grandmas and nephews for the sake of the gospel. For those like those in Nigeria who have been kidnapped forced and coerced into Islam. For those that are in prison for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Languishing in a cell at this very moment. Being harshly treated. For those that are meeting in caves and those that are meeting in the woods and meeting in uh, house churches because they can't worship in public. For those in countries in the Middle East, nations that have anti-conversion laws, punishable by death. And I was humbled in the car and I said, Father, we don't even have a clue of what persecution and trial is. How many all over the world would wish to have the issues that this church has in place of what they're going through. But the Lord loves them all. And the Lord is with all. And so consequently, I myself had to repent and had to say, Father, forgive me as I 
elevate my comforts, if I elevate my wants, if I elevate my desires in lieu of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To cry to God, to confess and repent of our sins. It is true repentance that the Lord hears and honors and acts. True repentance is an inward act of the Holy Spirit that manifests itself outwardly in contrition and humility and lowliness before God. What was the result of Daniel's repentance? Look at verse 20 of chapter 9. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. What was the result of all these elements? What was it? God heard. God spoke. God moved. In this case with Daniel, he sent the, the, the angel Gabriel and he gives him a vision of the end time. As he was there presenting himself, as he was crying out to God, as he was confessing, as he was making his supplications, as he came with a repentant heart, God was stirred and God moved. Is that possible today? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Will God move in response to his people? Absolutely. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me and I will answer. And I will show you great and mighty things, saith the Lord. And that word great and mighty things, that means hidden things, things you know not. Think about what the Lord told the prophet Jeremiah. Call to me. I'm going to answer you, and I'm going to show you things you don't know. Things that are hidden in the kingdom now. But turn to me with repentance. Turn to me with lowliness of heart. Turn to me and honor the Lord, and I will show you great things. Now, I can't speak for you, but I don't know how many of you are content with your life and you say, well, I don't need to see any more things from the Lord. I got it all right now. If that's you, let's switch places, please. But I believe that. And I believe the Word of God. And I believe it is true. And I believe if we call unto the Lord with a pure, unadulterated heart, that God is going to show us amazing, glorifying things. Things we know not. You know what we don't know? We don't know revival. We don't know the revival power of God, not the jumping around and the horsing around, but the genuine move of God that stirs the heart and brings men and women to Christ. We need a genuine, authentic, spontaneous move of God in the Holy Spirit to sweep the church. We in our own individual lives need that fresh anointing that fresh baptism of God 
to come upon us, to grip us. We, what we don't know is how do we worship God in fear and reverence? How do we come and reverence God and bow down and say, I am nothing but God, you are everything. You know what we don't know? That for me, Christ, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. We plant our flag here on planet earth and we try to, we try to squeeze every minute of life out. Listen, I'm not telling you to be a suicide bomber. I think you know that. But what I am telling you is death is the most scariest thing to most people. We plant our flag here, but oh, praise God, I have been around people who I've watched them die. I've been with them when they took their last breath, including my own dad. I have seen them die, and I have seen them stare death in the face and be at peace. Oh, that God would do that work here that God would do that work in the church in America, that the church in America would wake up, that he would take us out of our slumber, he would take us out of our indifference, he would take us out of our formalism and our traditionalism, and that the power of the Holy Ghost would consume his church once again. Oh, let me tell you, I've been praying over 10 years that God would bring revival, genuine revival, not one of those things that they say, hey, revival here Thursday night at 7.30. I like the way they put the Holy Spirit on their schedule. Hey, Lord, you know, listen, we're having a revival party Thursday night. You think you could be here? Oh, yeah, I'll be there. But genuine revival, God's heart being moved to his people, one of the greatest revivals that occurred have been in Scotland in the Hebrides. One of the most amazing things, you could read the account. G. Campbell Morgan. That when the revival came, that the police had no, no calls. When the revival came, all the bars in the, in, 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 in the town would close. Not, not for Sunday night. I'm talking closed. Out of business. That old men, middle-aged women, old women, that they would run to the church. G. Campbell Morgan tells the story if he got a phone call at 12 o'clock at night, he said, there's a crowd gathering outside the church and they're demanding that somebody come and preach the word of God to them. And it was during the middle of the week. And G. Campbell Morgan talks about that when he gets there, he could barely make his way through the crowd. There were hundreds inside the church, but there were twice that outside the church. And they demanded a word from God. And G. Campbell Morgan and other men went up there and they preached the word of God into the early morning hours, about 5 o'clock in the morning, as people started to break and go to their homes and they went to their homes and they started praying. My goodness. That's what I want to see. 
I want to see people who love the Lord God so much that they don't care. Hey, I get off at work, but if I have to be, I get off at work at 5 o'clock, but if I have to be at the church at 5.30, I'm there. And people who want to tarry all night in prayer. And people who want to say, hey, I want to fast. Let's fast for the move of God to come upon us. People that when we worship the Lord are just caught up and enraptured in the glory of God and we could stay that way forever. Oh, church, if we would call unto the Lord and he would show us great and mighty things, Lord, there's so many things, so many hidden things in God that we have not even scratched the surface on. Listen, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59, 1 says this, God's ear is not dull that it cannot hear. His arm is not short that he cannot save. But he says something. But your sins, your sins have caused him not to hear. And so is that the final story? No, because we just saw in our series on the beauty of Christ, the glorious verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what is God? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 says this, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Oh, church. There are four elements in Daniel's prayer. Prayer, call to God, confession, agreeing with God regarding sin and righteousness, supplication, entreating God for His favor, and a repentant Hard. See, now is the time for every believer, everyone born again, to pray as never before for the church. To pray that as believers that we will be steadfast, immovable, abounding in every good work, like 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says. That we will not faint, though the days try us. As Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Job 13, 15. And I love these words. From Job, found in Job 19.25. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last day, he will take his stand on the earth. Let us be praying people. A righteous people. A holy people. Listen, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. We have not been given any exclusion as Americans. My heart is that every believer would turn from dead, indifferent, lifeless prayer and be stirred in our hearts to pray with fervency and passion and urgency. And let the passion of Christ burn in our hearts. Amen? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, at the very beginning we prayed, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And so, Father, as we come to you, Lord God, we bless and we praise your name. Lord, 
May these words not fall on dull hearts, but cause us, O oh God, to consider our position in Christ and to consider you the living God who made it all possible and to consider, O oh God, such a great salvation in Christ that our hearts would be completely turned toward you and that you will be honored, Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.